This episode is brought to you by the Iowa Economic Development Authority, and this is Iowa.com. We'll explain what makes Iowa a great place to live in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. One of the things I feel today is I kind of almost have these like micro failures all the time with like, oh, I wish I had said that differently to that team member, or I wish I had done that differently. And I think it's in that kind of pushing through the shame and be like, it's okay, I can begin again. I am human. I will make mistakes. Is there anything I can do to make this better and be honest about this? I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice. And we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Jessica Rolf. She is the CEO and co-founder of Love Every, a child development company focused on building better play products for children. One of my favorite companies. I am so thankful for Love Every. And Love Every was not Jessica's first jump into entrepreneurship. It was actually her second. She was the co-founder and COO of Happy Family, the number one organic baby food company in the United States, which sold to Danone in 2013. Not only is Jessica a serial entrepreneur, she's also a parent of three and lives with her family in Boise, Idaho. Jessica, thanks for joining us. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish. I'm so glad to be here. We are very excited to have you. Before we jump in, we always like to warm up with our lightning round to get to know you better. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Finish this sentence. What best describes your work day? Working nine till... Mm. Do we have to start at nine? <laughs> no, you can, you can change the sentence. Okay. You know, I often get up early and try and just hit a little bit of work before the day starts. And then nine to five thirty six go home and have dinner with my kids and try and get into the zone with them, put them to bed and then crash. What's the last show you binge watch? I get like overstimulated by TV. I know this is weird. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I watched White Lotus. I hadn't watched TV for years. I just, I'm like, I cannot, it's the sensory input, the stories, like it just gets in my head. I start dreaming about it. And so my friends were like, you really have to watch White Lotus. It's so good. And I completely got consumed with the show. My husband and I were like so into it. It completely took over my brain. Like I like thought about it, dreamt about it. It was too much. So I really can't do TV. I know it's weird. <laughs> so how do you, how do you zone out? Yeah, there's an on switch and it stays on most of the time. So I don't know. I mean, the kids kind of pull you in as much as they, they can and like snuggling with them and being present with them. But yeah, I, I think I'm, you know, my husband would say I'm kind of intense. I think it's a theme on our show. I don't, I don't think you're alone. How do you ever get sick of reading Max and Nana go to the park? Oh my gosh. Not with a toddler on my lap. <laughs> it is the best. Thank you for asking. I love that book. On a different note, like lightning round answer, how do you build trust with consumers? Uh, I think that by really just reaching through and talking to them as if 
I was talking to you and holding the highest standards, I'm really obsessed with quality here. And I think that every word that we say, it's exactly what you do every day in building trust with me, with the skim. I think it's in the, in the content. It's in what we're saying and doing what we promise to do, which is try and help you feel good about being a parent. It's so hard. So many challenging feelings. So just trying to be a friend, right? A friend with a bunch of research and some experts and reach through and make parenting a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more positive, a little bit more confident. What's your number one parenting tip for parents of young kids? Talk to them. It's so obvious and I think we hear it, but it's hard to do with a three-month-old, with an infant, even with a toddler when they're just, they're constantly kind of like making vocalizations before they have words. I think just really tuning in to those vocalizations and responding as if they were talking. I think that makes the biggest impact on development in their future. I'm listening to you speak and like your tone and the cadence and the calmness and what you do, obviously. Are you very good at like the gentle parenting approach? Oh, no. Well, actually, I think I've kind of messed all of that up, to be honest. Like you should interview my husband and find out what I'm really like, because I don't know if I have enough self-awareness. Gentle parenting, I will say I have trouble with boundaries. It's tough. I'm empathetic, but I think that the gentle parenting movement is confusing right now. It's so messy and so hard. And I think that at Love Every, where I feel really confident is in those messages, like talk to your child and let me tell you all the research on screen time and what to know, or here's what to expect with your child's fine motor development. When it comes to emotional regulation and really being for them, like the messy stuff of parenting, I find that stuff so hard. I want to move into the bulk of our combo. As we talked about or mentioned in your intro today, you have co-founded two companies. There is a common, I don't want to say misconception, there is a reputation around entrepreneurship that it can be lonely or that you do it all alone. How, and I'm I'm asking this as somebody who obviously has a co-founder, we have always said we're so grateful to have each other because it is really lonely. How have you experienced that? Because you've had co-founders in each of these companies. And are there times where you actually wished you had done it alone? I never wish I had done it alone. I would say, though, that the very hardest thing that I have ever done is been a co-founder and a partner. And my co-founding relationship with my first business partner, I was 49 in a 49-51 split. And the experience of that for me in that relationship and for that company and where we took that company was really emotional for me of kind of experiencing ego, my own sense of self. I love to give credit and I love to receive credit. To be honest, I love to give and receive credit. I It's a really important thing to to say. Like not a lot of people like will be like no, I don't need it, but I appreciate the honesty with that. Yeah, and I think that there's a sensitivity that I was able to bring when I co-founded Love Every with my co-founder Rod. We are 50-50 partners from the beginning. Yes, it was my idea, but we are co-creating this company and I think that the sensitivity that I have for him And the agreements that we made in the beginning really prevented, I think, the heartache and kind of the stress that I went through in my first business where I didn't have alignment with my co-founder around recognition and acknowledgement. And I just, it was hard. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with either one of our perspectives. It's just that getting alignment on that was really tough for us. 
Carly and I get asked a lot about advice for people that are are going into partnerships together. And we say similarly, which is, you know, our deal has been 50-50. We talked about the recognition upfront. We have like our own red lines that we make clear to our investors. What advice would you give people who are thinking about formalizing kind of a a co-founder relationship? Yeah, I think really knowing your co-founder and what they're kind of that ego place, what those wants are, even if we don't want to admit it to ourselves. I think that there are a lot of COOs that are very internal. And I co-founded Happy Family with my partner and we built that company together. But I was not an internal facing COO type. I really wanted to share with her in the excitement and some of the glory, right? And so I think that for her, she probably was looking for a more internally focused COO and co-founder. And for me, I was looking to have this like ride and this experience with a partner that I could share that with. And so that lack of alignment, I think, caused us some stress. And for me, it was self-esteem. Like it was really over the years, it became hard for me to build myself back up after selling to Danone. Everybody, you know, it's like such an incredible experience. From a financial standpoint, my co-founder was so loyal and thoughtful of me, yet there was this missing piece around credit and wanting some recognition. And I think that on the day we sold, I remember feeling sad and it was weird, right? Because we had like accomplished the impossible. We built a multi-million dollar company out of nothing together and we had a three-year earn out. And so it was three years with the new company and We were traveling to Evian, France together and having all these experiences, but I just felt sad and I felt like bad about myself. Like I wish that I had not had such an ego response and then also feeling like, wait a second, I did this and I I give credit and I want to receive some too. And I wanted more than what was offered. Before you started Happy Family, did you know that getting recognition and credit was something that was important to you? I don't think I thought about it. Like it sort of came naturally, I guess, because it felt like fair in the world, right? Like I would do something and I, I never really needed to be, I never really wanted to be famous or I wasn't looking for, you know, like a, a really big moment. I think it was more about just kind of my calibration of where I was calibrated on where I wanted to feel rewarded for my work. And I think that, the, that you can be rewarded financially, you can be rewarded by your relationships with your team, and you can be rewarded by how people view you externally. And I think that that third piece was important to me and actually more important to me than I realized than the financial piece or the, you know, the team was super important to me, but the financial piece wasn't as important, strangely. One of the things that I found really refreshing in doing prep for this is how you talk about over the course of building Happy Family, you deprioritize your friendships. And I think it's a really honest answer and especially an honest answer for a lot of times women. What was that like for you? What was the impact of making that decision? Yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up. I think for me, what's important context is that I feel really like my role as a daughter is a really big, important role for me that I think a lot of people don't necessarily have quite a big of a place in their lives to be a a child to a parent, and not a child, but a daughter. And so for me, my parents divorced when I was young. I'm their only child from that marriage. My mom did not remarry. And I just, 
adore my mom and my dad remarried and has a family and my parents had joint custody. So I'm just super close to them. And I think that duty and that love and that sense of responsibility to my parents kind of takes up a big chunk of my life. So if I'm going to be a wife, that's hard to balance wife and daughter. (laughs) And then mother, adding in mother, I realized if I looked at it, I was like, okay, I can't be the thoughtful friend that I want to be. I made that decision. You asked about the impact. I kind of came up for air a couple years later and I was like, gosh, I'm lonely. Like, oh, you do need friends. I was like, wow, I really did bring this to my, I brought this through my life. Like I, I intentionally deprioritize friendships and now this is how it feels. And so I think at this point, it does come lower to me than I'm trying to elevate my husband in my life, to be honest. And, you know, my parents are right there. My kids are right there. I'm trying to kind of like put my husband as a primary relationship and then fit in a little bit more with friends. It doesn't have to be everything, but it doesn't also have to be, it it can't be as little as it was before. Trying to be a little bit more attentive. So obviously in the last few years, there's been a lot of shifting attitudes about remote work and, you know, people really rethinking where they live, the way they work and how they travel. And we have heard so many stories about people just picking up and moving somewhere new. Not going to lie. We both have thought about it ourselves a few times. Well, guys, breaking news here. U.S. News and World Report ranks Iowa as the number one state in the U.S. for opportunity based on affordability, education, and economic data. And it is the fourth most affordable state overall. As a Midwesterner, I I love this. Let's go a little further. It's also ranked number one for housing affordability with housing costs that are 27% below the national average. That is amazing. It's also a state that has a vibrant food, art, and live music scene. Plus, iconic landmarks to add to your must-see list. Think the real field of dreams. That's amazing. Not to mention tons of state parks and forests and other jaw-droppingly beautiful natural sites. And since it was recently named Wallet Hub's ninth best state to raise a family, we're really not surprised so many people are moving there. In Iowa, you can live large and do more for a lot less. Exactly what I have been thinking about. Compare your cost of living. Oof, it's hurting me thinking about it. And see how much you could save if you made the move at thisisiowa.com. That's thisisiowa.com. T-H-I-S-I-S-I-O-W-A. Iowa, a secret worth sharing. Talk to us, you know, something that we are asking all of our guests this season is to share a moment when you have felt stuck or out of control and how you got out of that. I will say the period of time where we told a group to known and then there was a period of time where I needed to stay in my role, I was experiencing, which I share with you, just lower self-esteem than I usually have in my life. So that was a lower point. I also felt like I wasn't really that needed anymore at work. Like it was interesting to be replaced. My team was so capable. And then usually you kind of naturally evolve into something else, but it was necessary for me to stay because of the contract. And so trying to make myself relevant and reinvent myself within a closed system, it was a hard time. And I think for me, the climbing out of it was this new idea that I had around Love Every and really dreaming about that business and letting it 
kind of marinate for a really long time and being with my children and dreaming about more and more products that I might create or information that I would wish I could share and pouring myself into some of the nerdy research was a real relief for me and helped me to sort of elevate. Carly, you and I also did this fellowship at the Aspen Institute. There was a lot around kind of rebuilding my sense of self there. And I had a mentor that was really powerful for me and she believed in me and sort of finding that I can do this again and I can do this again with a new experience and find confidence again. It was important. I love that. And I think kind of the thing that people I think is misunderstood a lot is when you have somebody that has had success or has reached a certain level in their career is that they could go through moments of not feeling confident. And there could be something personal that happens to you or something within your career that shakes your foundation. And it's not talked about enough of like, how do you get that confidence when you are in a visible role? So take us like to how that moment then led to you actually starting Love Every. Yeah. Well, I want to acknowledge what you just said. I mean, one of the things I feel today is I kind of almost have these like micro failures all the time with like, oh, I wish I had said that differently to that team member, or I wish I had done that differently. And I, I sort of think about it at night. I process it. I don't know if anybody else does, but I'm like, go through my day with this critical eye, right? And sometimes I'll even apologize to people or say, I think that that came off wrong and let me reconnect with you on this. And I think it's in that kind of pushing through the shame, like, the, like I think about it, I have this process where I go through in my head, I'm like, oh God, like I hate this. I hate that side of the day, right? When you're like, oh, I wish I had done that differently. Sometimes I think I try and just shove it away. But then if I can push through the shame of it and be like, it's okay, I can begin again. I am human. I will make mistakes. Is there anything I can do to make this better and be honest about this and vulnerable and like share that I feel embarrassed or I didn't handle this well or whatever it is. So I try to do that. Climbing out and building Love Every, it was so interesting because a lot of the investors that invested in us at Happy Family, I went back to, I was like, hey, you made like 20 plus times your money with Happy Family. Do you want to go for this again? To see doubt in, in some of their eyes. Some of them were like, sure, great. I can't wait. I totally believe in you. Some of them were like, is she like a one hit wonder? Really? Like, I think I got really lucky with this baby food company. I don't know if this is going to happen again. And so to fundraise a second time and to feel that rejection and that doubt was fascinating. I'm like really shocked that you had that experience. Yeah, I did. I really did. We always say like the bright side about being a, a first time founder is that like it's never your first time again. Because it is so hard to raise money. And I always assumed it would be easier. You just crushed our, our bright side. So <laughs> thanks, Jessica. <laughs> yeah. It's, sometimes it's hard to believe, right? Even in yourself, you're like, how much of this was luck? And how much of this was me? And how much of it was timing? And how much of it was the idea, right? Teasing all of that out is really hard. And so for an investor to really assess that, it's tricky. I think the thing that drove me through all of those walls. It was my partnership with Rod. I had a really great partnership with my co-founder. He has an incredible process for fundraising and we were just one foot in front of the other. And the other is just the purpose. I was just so excited about what we we're building. I love building things. So I was just in my joyful space. The creating part is so fun and powerful. What I really appreciate about what you did is at its very foundation, you teach me how to play with my kid. And there is something so simple about it that makes me trust the brand because it's like, 
when you're a parent, there are so many things that you think you'll figure out. And then you have kids and you realize that doesn't happen. And everyone's kind of guessing. And one of the things that I never thought of was, oh, obviously, like you just know how to play with your kid. But I didn't. And once I started getting Love Every, it was really eye-opening to see how people responded. Where did that initial idea come from for you? So I had been feeding my babies like sardines and optimizing their choline intake and all this stuff, right? With Happy Family, I was so, I just love kind of digging in, going deep, obsessing over like nerdy facts, research, all this stuff. Oh, those sardines. (laughs) All the sardines. Key. (laughs) Yes. Key. And so I remember feeling really good. I was like, okay, I got the feeding thing. And I remember sitting down and playing with him with all the stuff in my house. And I don't know, Danielle, how you feel about like the stuff in your home, but it was just, it was definitely not a Montessori, you know, sort of perfect shelved dream. It was a lot of plastic flashing lights toys. It were hand-me-downs and just I remember sitting down and playing with my child and I was like, this doesn't feel right. Like I'm watching him pull himself up to one of these plastic toys. And it's like, all this stuff is happening with the toy. He's pushing one button and I'm not really connecting with him. And so my birthing instructor had loaned me this like white paper on brain development. I ended up connecting with the researcher and the author and he gave us the rights to this paper and we've partnered with him ever since. But it was like all the research. And then it was this program based on your child's age of what they were interested in learning. And I was like, oh my gosh, he really wants to put this ball through this paper towel tube, or he really wants to like pull these tissues out and like destroy them and pull them out of this box. And, you know, then I found myself thinking, really, it's real life that he's so interested in. He's really interested in understanding real life cause and effect. And that's where the most important learning is happening, not from like pushing a button and seeing a bunch of things happen. And so I started dreaming about what if we had a tissue box that wasn't made of paper tissues? Or what if we had like a paper, you know, instead of a paper towel tube, what if we had like something that was clear that would fit the right block size? So I just started dreaming about these products. And I think that was the inspiration was just all this like nerdy science that I learned from this, this white paper on infant brain development. Why did you decide to to base the company in Boise? My husband. I don't know what it's like for other people listening if they have a partner and if they're starting companies, but it is not always easy to be the partner of a founder. And, you know, I think for him, he was like, oh my gosh, are we going to, you're going to do this again, first of all. Wow, really? (laughs) You're going to do all that again? And he was really supportive, but it also has an impact on our family and our kids. And so he was like, I really just really want to stay in Boise. He loves the outdoors. It ended up being a great place for Rod and me to co-found the company. So Rod moved his family to Boise and we just have this sort of chill backdrop to like a pretty intense work life. I'm curious, like from your perspective in running a company that is really for both parents and kids, knowing how much both of those in particular have been affected in the pandemic, how do you think workplaces have to change to accommodate the working parent. And I'm curious, like from a policy perspective at Love Every, like what are the policies that you've put in place to support that model? Yeah. I mean, parental leave, right? I mean, we just, we got to have good parental leave. We have four months covered at Love Every. And I think that that is a minimum that we should do for, you know, women and men having babies and new lives and that welcoming new, new children into their lives. I think that what needs to change at a societal level, one of the things that I feel most proud of at Happy Family is I was pumping, breastfeeding, trying to deal with all the stuff, having new children. 
and also going to work. So this was pre-pandemic. And I would just pump in my office and I would pump through meetings and Group Danone would come to visit. These, these guys would come from Europe. They would come visit and I would just like stay in my meeting and put on the cover and just put on my hospital grade pump because that was the one that was most effective. It was like gigantic. But I think that normalizing that, and it was just like everybody in the office. Once I started doing it, my co-founder did it. She was great at this too. Like it just made it easy for everybody to just not have to go into a sequestered room. Maybe you have to change your meeting schedule to accommodate pumping. So I don't know, from a culture standpoint, I feel like it'd be awesome if we could just make it a little bit easier when, if there are times when we're away from our kids and our babies to make it easier to do some of the basic things. We have a listener question from Ashley who wants to know, how did you fundraise for Love Every? And is there something you would have done differently? Mm, Good question. So with Happy Family, we raised money from all individuals. With Love Every, Rod and I decided that we really wanted to capitalize the business because we wanted to get our idea out in the world as quickly as we could because we felt like building a brand moat was really important. We felt like we had something special as far as the idea and it was something that could be copied. And we wanted to really get the word out and get as many customers as soon as possible. So we needed more institutional financing. The second time around, we did go to individuals for the seed round. We also went to individuals for our A round because we found some momentum When we went for our first institutional round in the Series A, there wasn't very much room. So we did get some great institutionals on board, Reach Capital, Collaborative Fund, Mavron came in at kind of smaller amounts than they might have if they were kind of taking our A round. Then when it came to the B, there was nobody who had already gained traction with our owning a portion of our company in the A round. And so then it put a lot more pressure on the next round of institutional investors to feel like they could have enough ownership in the company. So it was a very hard financing round for us. If I had done it differently, I would have, if I'm going to do the institutional thing and get VC capital, I would have created more space in those earlier rounds for them, as opposed to filling it up with individuals. Last question. Who else should we have on the show? Ah, that's a great question. So Toyin Ajay is the CEO of CityBlock Health, and they're doing incredible work. She's an MD, and she's leading a company that's truly trying to change the perspective around healthcare in the U.S. And I met her at a surf retreat (laughs) in Mexico. It was super fun. And I just loved her. So not only is she so impressive, but she's also just a, a really cool person. And I think you should talk to her. I love that. And I like that you met at a surf retreat. (laughs) Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much. Um, Congratulations on everything. And thank you for creating Love Every. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. (laughs) 